The mission of Hope Bible Fellowship is to make disciples of Jesus Christ by gathering together, growing deep, and going wide with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we boiled that down to gather, grow, go. We've walked through this process. We want to move people uh, to gather together for worship and equipping, grow deep together in groups and one-on-one, and then go wide on mission together. I hope that you've been challenged by the Word of God toward deeper commitment to the local church here at Hope. And I'm excited, I really am excited about the future of our church and seeing what the Lord wants to do here. I hope many of you will join us in that journey. And I hope that this morning's message is also encouraging to you. The main idea, by the way, we're covering the go wide. If you hadn't figured that out, we talked about gather, we talked about grow deeper last week, and then this week we're talking about going wide. So the main idea of today's message, you could boil it down to this. Because Jesus has loved us and saved us, we must be living on mission every day as we go out into our community making disciples. So if we want to make that even simpler, because that's pretty long. I get a little wordy sometimes. I don't know if you've noticed that. To make it even simpler, it's this. We should be living a missional life. What is a missional life? Well, a missional life is a going life. A missional life is a going life. You know, I can remember a time in ministry a few years ago. It's been several years at this point where everyone was living on a sort of field of dreams mentality. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Field of Dreams, but I am from Iowa, okay, where it was filmed. Across the board, there was this idea in church that if you build it, they will come. So churches built bigger and nicer buildings and gymnasiums, and they planned bigger and better and more sprawling programs to attract people to come to the church. And for a while, people came. But between that day, not that long ago, and 2023, things have changed in the culture of America, and the culture specifically as it relates to Christianity. In those days, much of our country at least identified with a church or some kind of religion. Even if it was simply a cultural thing, they would at least identify with it on a survey. But over the years, there's been a steady shift in our culture, really, Lately, it's more of a lurch into secularism. And according to Gallup poll research, one-third of all Americans consider themselves non-religious. One-third. They would report that religion is not an important part of their daily life, and they seldom or never attend religious services. Americans are largely unmotivated to go out of their way for much of anything, and that includes church. You know how I know that we don't want to go out of our way for much of anything? It's because every business has a drive through <laughs> right? And I remember when I noticed that um, years ago when we were living in Rochester, Illinois, which is a suburb of Springfield, and I would have to drive. Bethany was pregnant with Kenan, and she was in and out of the hospital on bed rest for four months. And so I would drive down to the hospital, and I would drive down South Grand, and I noticed something that I'd never seen before. Uh, It was bonkers to me. At least I don't ever remember seeing one before. And it was a drive-through liquor store. And I thought to myself, this seems like a really, really bad idea. Americans, we don't want to 
get out of our way for much of anything, including church. The days of someone joining a church just because they wanted it to show up on their obituary as a member of a church or for their standing in the community or for connection purposes, those days are over. Back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, even up into the 80s, if you were like an insurance salesman or a dentist or something like that, many times people would move into the community, they would join a church because they would have that kind of social connection. Okay, I'm not saying that's good, okay, but I'm saying that happened. And today, even that, even that tangential, very worldly connection doesn't happen. Of course, there are various reasons for this. Our culture has grown more and more hostile to the church. And we can discuss that another time. But the bottom line is the church does not have the same cultural standing that it once had in America. Jimmy Scroggins and Steve Wright report this. If we're going to reach the millions who have yet to hear the gospel, we need to rethink our current invite strategy. Since we aren't going to get them to come and see what we're doing, we need to figure out ways to take the good news to the places they live, work, and play. We have to be going out and taking the Great Commission seriously. Christians are a going people. Do you remember in the Great Commission, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, right? And then what does he tell them to do? Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So it's right there. So is it possible that we've gotten so comfortable in our four walls of our, we've built bigger and bigger buildings that are comfortable and pleasing. And look, I think we should have aesthetically pleasing uh, spaces to worship in. I do. Um, I want that, okay? Uh, you guys know that I think that I, want, I like aesthetically pleasing places because I've rearranged my office like 85 times in the last two and a half years, okay? So you know that's important to me, all right? That's a little joke on myself. But what we've done is we've gotten so inwardly focused that we've boiled all of it down to coming to church, which is important. And as I talked in Gather, I think that's a, like, being a Christian means you gather with other Christians for worship. But it's like we forgot that we are also a going people. We are a gathering people, we are a growing people, but we're also a going people. And that brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. If you want to follow along with me in your Bible or on your device or on the board behind me. I don't know why I call it a board. It's not a board, it's a wall. But there's boards somewhere in there. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time this morning. Father, as we come to this time of of peering into your word, of looking at what it means, and then seeing how it applies to our lives, I pray that you would move our hearts, that we would not simply hear and do nothing with it, but we would be hearers and doers of the word. Father, I I just ask that I would decrease and that you would increase, that um, anything that's just me, that you would clear that out and that you would speak to your people by your word. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Jesus, I pray today would be their day of salvation. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I made the statement that the Christian life is the missional life. So we should be living missionally. By the way, the computer uh, spell check doesn't understand what that word missionally is. So I may have made that form of the word missional up. It understands missional. So what is missional living? Sometimes I'm afraid the word missional has gotten so overused in our culture over the last 20 years, uh, which, by the way, if you're not, you probably don't read a lot of, like, church planter and pastor books and websites and articles. I tend to see a lot of those things. That's typically what my, like, news feeds and things are filled with. And uh, the word missional has been used a lot in the last 20 or 30 years. In fact, I think it's one of those that gets used so much that we use it, and sometimes we don't know what we're saying. And I don't want us to have the mistake of uh, <laughs> The Princess Bride. You know this movie? Indigo Montoya makes a statement because Vicini keeps saying inconceivable. And uh, Indigo Montoya says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And I kind of feel like that with the word missional sometimes. Missional living to kind of break it, boil it all the way down. You could, I mean, people write books and papers about this, but let's boil it all the way down. Missional living is living every day of your life as if you were a missionary planted right where you live because that is exactly what you are. It's treating every day as if we were to put you on an airplane, give you a backpack with some supplies, and dump you out of the airplane into a remote land where you parachute in and now you have to learn the culture and build relationships and share the gospel in a way that the culture will hear it. Just as a missionary to a foreign culture learns the language, the customs, and other cultural touch points of a people they are sent to, we must also live this way right where God has already planted us. I have some friends who have served as missionaries. And you know what doesn't work? When you take what is, when you take the way we do outreach, we do um, uh, church and things like that here in America, and then you just take it over and transplant it into another country and do the same thing over there. When you leave, it just goes away. Because all you did was start an American church in Uganda or wherever. What works is when there's a long-term partnership with a people and you develop these relationships and you train them up 
in how to evangelize, how to do that, but you do it within the cultural context that they are. Okay? So, if we take that principle and we put it on, let's just use, I don't know, Dixon as an example. There's certain things, certain ways people live in Dixon, certain ways people communicate, certain things that people will hear a certain way, that they hear a very different way if I say the same thing in Seattle. It's just different. There's, there's a context to the culture. And so part of that, that idea of being missional is having that, that mindset of, I am a missionary. My home is in heaven. I am deployed to Dixon or Polo or wherever, Rochelle, wherever you live. And you live out on mission there with an eye on the long term. Not like a short-term mission trip where you're like in for two weeks and you're out, right? This is a like the mindset of I am a missionary where God has placed me. A lot of churches consider themselves to be missions-minded because they have a missions program. They might even have a missions committee or give money to mission work around the globe. But a missional church is focused on, invested in, and oriented around God's mission to a specific people, place, and time in history. So don't hear me say that we should not be doing international missions. We absolutely should be doing international missions. But what I'm saying is, I don't think that that mindset of being a missionary necessarily is, needs to be any different than the way we live our everyday life here. Tim Keller said this, God does not merely send the church in mission. God is already in mission, and the church must join him. This also means, then, that the church does not simply have a missions department. It should wholly exist to be a mission, which is why we have a mission statement of making disciples. And we want to live with that mission. Another well-known preacher described the culture as being the soil in which the seed of God's work in our lives, the gospel, is planted. We must understand the soil because it will help us know which weeds to pull out and not choke the growth of the gospel and the church. I have learned in the last two and a half years of being here um, that y'all are just different. And, and, and everywhere I've been, the people are different, okay? I grew up in central Iowa, okay? I think it is uh, the greatest place that you could possibly grow up, but I'm super biased, okay? Um, I think it's great, but the people there, they're different, all right? They're different. And you would think just moving to, say, let's say west central Illinois, where we lived for a while, you would think that people would be very similar because it's not that far away. Nope, completely different. And then you move to northern Illinois and you think, oh gosh, these people are probably fairly similar to the other people in Illinois. No, guess what? Nope. It's because there's a different culture. There are different things. But this is the soil in which we all have been planted and where we need to grow and bloom. So, What's the why? Why should we live this going life, this missional life, this going life? I'm going to give you a few reasons. First is because the love of Christ compels us. If we look back at our focal passage for today, why did Paul 
do the ministry that he did? Well, in verse 14, we find that it was the love of Christ that compelled or controlled him. The Greek word that's used here for love could refer to either the love Christ has for people or the love that they have for him. The first option, the love Christ has for people, is the preferred understanding, of course. It was Christ's love for Paul and mankind that drove Paul to spread the gospel. It was because Christ had loved Paul and saved him that it drove him to spread the gospel and share with other people. God is sovereign, and Paul would not have wanted to exalt himself or his own strength in loving God, but instead give God glory as he was compelled to mission because of Christ's love. And because Jesus had demonstrated the sacrificial love of God by dying in the place of sinners on the cross, Paul had perspective on his hardships. It motivated him to proclaim the gospel to the nations. Because he was compelled by the love Christ had for him, it helped him see the very difficult, dangerous, hard trials that he went through with a perspective and motivated him to continue. The world, excuse me, the word that gets translated control or compel can mean this. It can mean hold together as a unit, sustain, to stop or to shut, to press hard or crowd, to press in around, to hold in custody guard to cause distress by force or circumstances to occupy someone's attention intensely to provide impulse for some activity or to hold inbounds so as to manage or guide direct and control i don't tell you that simply to read the greek dictionary to you i want us to understand what this word is saying in the context of the passage and what it is how the love of god the love of god in christ compels us or controls us forward into mission. If we continue on from verse 14 into 15, we see that Christ died for all people without distinction such as man, woman, social standing, profession, ethnicity, etc., etc. Not everyone receives the benefits of Jesus' sacrifice. It is only for those who believe the gospel and live for Christ. So repent and believe the good news. That's the message that Jesus preached. Because Jesus died, the power of sin over his followers has been broken. And that means that by him and through him, we can live for the purposes of God. That the gospel be spread and disciples be made. And if you've never heard this or never understood this, and now understand that Jesus died in your place for your sin, and you want to repent, turn away from your sin, and trust in him, then I would love to talk to you after the service, so come find me. And I believe that if we are compelled by Christ's love, we will also love people. We have to love people. We must love the lost. It's hard. They're dirty. Their lives aren't right. They have issues. They're lost. Some seem more lost than others. And so were we. Our lives aren't perfect. We have issues. We have all sinned. It's a level playing field. But God and his divine plan put someone in our path that lived a going life. God and his divine plan put somebody in your life. Maybe it was a preacher. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a mom or a dad. Maybe it was a friend at school, a co-worker. Maybe it was a missionary. But God put someone in your path 
that told you about Jesus. Someone shared how we could find forgiveness and peace with God. And we need to want that for others. Because the love of Christ compels us to live a going life. Second, why for why live a going life? It's right there in the passage. Because we are Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. We're sent out as agents of reconciliation. An ambassador is a representative from another kingdom or government living in a foreign land and representing the king and the kingdom to those who are not yet of the kingdom. They go and live in a foreign land. I really... Maybe Bill and Jeanette should be explaining what this is instead. But they go and live in a foreign land as an ambassador... Right? That's what people in our State Department do, right? They go live in a foreign land and they represent our government to the people of that, of that country. We are agents of reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ. If we are in Christ, then our true home is not here. Our true home is in heaven. And we are his ambassadors in this fallen world to represent him to the world and be agents of reconciliation, the scripture tells us. Biblically speaking, our ministry is not providing backpacks or parties or candy bags like we do at Halloween or giving food or many of those other very good things. Those things should be happening, but they should be happening so as to help us in the ministry of reconciliation. We don't just want to feed people and then they go to hell with a full belly. We want to feed people in the name of Jesus and give them the gospel so they taste the bread of life. Because we're not agents of feeding people, we're agents of reconciliation. I think it's good. We should feed people. I think that's good. Okay. Don't hear what I'm not saying. The means of reconciliation, though. What is the means of this reconciliation that we are agents of? It's Christ's death. And his resurrection. Jesus' death ended the hostility between God and people. And it is only by his suffering that peace between God and humanity is possible. He is the only way. The word, excuse me, the word referred to in verse 19 is cosmos. Cosmos. Look at verse, let's look over at verse 19 again. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The world referred to in verse 19 is cosmos. And this refers to people who are estranged from God and under the influence of sin and the devil. We must be intentional about this ministry. We... I don't know if sometimes we think that people are just going to accidentally get saved. First of all, it's not our work that saves anyone. It's Jesus' work on the cross. Salvation is the work of God. Okay? But just like with discipleship, I said there has to be intentionality to it. We have to plan for missional lives. Which leads me to ask the question of myself, and hopefully you will ask this of yourself as well, Is your life set up with the thought of how you can best be living on mission in your community? 
There's a missiologist named Wilbert Schenck, and he points out this. The Great Commission institutionalizes mission as the controlling norm of the church. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ and a member of his body is to live a missionary experience in the world. There is no doubt that this was how the earliest Christians understood their calling. We talk up the early church in Acts 2 a lot. Like, man, I just want to be a part of a biblical church like the early church. I want to be a part of that. This is how they understood their calling in the world. So that's the second why. The third why of why we should live a missional or a going life is because of joy. Because of joy. Logan Gentry writes, joy results in mission. Mission is, the, is a result of joy. If mission is lacking, it's because joy and delight in God are lacking. Because where do you get your joy? You get your joy from God, delighting in God. And the outcome of that, the result of having joy in God is mission. If you think about that statement for a while, it's because joy and delight in God are lacking. If mission is lacking, it's because joy and delight in God are lacking. If you really think about that and you set with that for a little bit, that will sting. That'll sting. If we look and see that our mission is lacking, we can generally trace it back and find that our joy and our delight in God are lacking. So the obvious question here is this. I know it's obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Are you truly delighting in God? Is Jesus where your joy is? When that is set right in our hearts, our mission will start to be worked out on the other end. So that's another of the whys of living a going life. But what's the fourth why? The fourth why of living a going or a mission life is to be obedient. Sometimes there's some stuff in life, and the answer really is just because Jesus told us to. I mean, I know that the world doesn't like that because the Bible says it, because Jesus said it, because God told us to. John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Jesus has sent us, therefore, we should obey and go. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And just in case we didn't quite get it, Matthew 28, 18-20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you guys understand that uh, the obey all that I have commanded would include the command to go. <laughs> it would also include the command that he just gave them. So everything I have commanded, you are to teach them. One of the cool ways that God set all this up is that when we obey the Great Commission and we make disciples and we teach them to obey everything that God has commanded us, then there's other people out there obeying the Great Commission because we're teaching them to do the things that Jesus has said for his followers to do. So that's the why. 
But how about the how? How do we live this going life? How do we live a missional life? Well, here are two keys to help us be intentional in our living of a missional life. Number one is know your identity. Your identity. Know who you are in Christ. The Apostle Paul, who wrote those verses in 2 Corinthians, knew his identity in Christ. He knew he was a sinner saved by the grace of God. And because of that, he was obedient to whatever Jesus wanted him to do. And he was sent out as a missionary, particularly to the Gentiles in Paul's case. And he knew, he was confident of his identity in Christ. When I remember and am solvent and, and, and just comfort and solid in my identity and who Jesus has made me to be, then I don't have to worry about what somebody else is doing. I can not get on social media and see this church has this many hundreds of people and this church had this many baptisms and this and worry about, oh, well, what am I doing wrong? No, if I am confident in my identity in Christ and I'm being obedient day in and day out to what Jesus has called me to be, then I can be I can be confident in that, or excuse me, then I can just serve and live that going life, live that missional life right where I am, confident in who I am in Christ. And whatever God is doing in other places, awesome. I can rejoice in that knowing exactly who I am in Christ and that I am right where I have been planted. And the same is true for you. I just use me as an example, but the same is true for you. You don't have to look around and see what somebody else has going on and this and that and this and that. You can and rejoice when your identity is not found in that comparison with the other person, but your identity is found in who you are in Jesus. Another key to living a missional lifestyle is urgency. So knowing your identity and then urgency. Living like we don't know the time that we will die or Jesus will return because I promise you, you don't know either. Evangelism is done by you in your own personal relationships. But how does the church get involved? What, what, are, what are we doing? We're doing... Like, what is, how does the church get involved in that? What does it look like in the life of the local church? Because I'm talking a lot about how, like, individually we should be as we have opportunity, being ready and willing and sharing with people wherever we are, whether it's our living room or the break room or wherever it is. So what does that look like in the life of the local church? Well, number one, you can bring non-Christian friends and family to church and know that they will hear the gospel and see visual representations of it. We sing it, we preach it, we pray it, and we show it in our observing of the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Just our love for one another and having nothing in common but Jesus is a testimony of the power and life-changing work of the gospel. So that's a way. Secondly, what does this look like in the life of the local church? Well, my job as a pastor is to equip you for ministry. This means that our church wants to, I want to help you be faithful in sharing the gospel with other, uh, with other people all the other hours of the week that you're not in this building. And we have ways, I have ways of equipping you and training you to do this. Uh, uh, I think it was 2021, we taught through, I taught through experiencing Christianity uh, in our Hope Deeper series. And I 
hope to do more of that in the future. Um, just last week, I had somebody who was sharing the gospel with somebody, and they came in and they talked to me about it, and I was able to give them a couple of, um, of like tracked booklets that they could, not the ones that you just leave, but the ones you actually walk through with someone and help them out. And I was able to provide them with a new believer's guide, so if that person decided to receive Christ, they could lead them through the basics of the faith to get them started. And I want to be able to equip you and help you with those things. What else is the local church doing to help in this? Well, we have events and ministries that help you introduce your people to the gospel and to members of our church at the same time. These ministries really are your responsibility. The command for personal evangelism and for loving your neighbor are given to individual Christians and not only to the church corporately. In other words, just because you give money to a particular ministry doesn't mean that you've done your responsibility to share your faith with those around you. And so what, a couple of other ways the church can help you in that, help equip you in that, is uh, obviously for prayer, praying for the lost, praying for those friends of yours that you bring us, and we pray uh, for them to come to know Jesus, for praying for you, teaching you how to pray for the lost, and then also providing a reading and training about evangelism. So that's the how. How about the where? Where are we going to live a going life? A missional church, a going church, understands that it's been sent by God as missionaries in their community and their culture. And they have been sent specifically to make disciples of all people right here in Dixon or wherever they're planted. So where? Right here. First locally, then globally. So we want to make sure that we are living missional lives locally and then globally. So we still want to be involved in the global mission of God as well. So those are the, the when I say go wide, go wide starts right here, starts right in your home and your workplace, or your school, and then your community, and it just widens out. Some people in this room will go to another country and do mission work. Some people won't. Some people have already been and done mission work in other countries. But we all are called to do mission right here. To live a going life. So to kind of move this towards wrapping up, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? Well, this is me challenging you to pick some of these things to do in order to help you live out a missional life. Number one, build solid relationships for gospel conversations. Most, um, most of these like deeply evangelistic conversations are going to happen with people you already know or people that you get to know somewhere along the way. I don't know about you, but it's pretty rare that I meet someone that I've never met before and immediately we're, they're asking questions about Jesus and we're talking about the gospel. And maybe I'm just really bad at evangelism. But a lot of times it's people I've known. Now, I understand it's a little bit different for me because you don't have people show up at your door knowing you're, uh, knowing you're a Christian, usually. When they show up at my office door, they know, hey, you're the pastor and I know I can ask you about the Lord, right? It's a little bit different. But build solid relationships for gospel conversations. Here's some practical ways to do that, because I know you guys like practical, right? So how do you build relationships? Well, eat with non-Christians. Go to lunch with some of your non-Christian friends. Throw parties at your house and invite your neighborhood 
Go to community playgrounds, pools, dog parks. Go to the facility, the Y. Join neighborhood communities, or excuse me, committees. Go to playgroups. Not if you don't have kids, that would be weird. But be, be a regular and meet with other regulars. All right? The other day, so I try to be a regular at places so that I can know the people, they know me. Um, I've told this story before. Um, I was out of town for a couple of weeks. Uh, a, few, a couple of years back, we went on a long vacation. And they didn't see me at the coffee shop I would normally go to for two weeks. And I went back in, and they said, Hey, Cal, uh, we were about to send a search party out because we hadn't seen you in a while. And so if you're a regular at places, those, those people, they, they walk by. They're going to the storeroom. Uh, to get more coffee beans or whatever it is, they go to get more napkins, whatever. And they see me sitting there working on my sermon. And, and we talk. We have interactions. Now, most of the time, there's no God talk that goes on. But if I'm not there, it'll never happen. If I'm not there, it'll never happen. And so we've got to be intentional. Be outside Volunteer with nonprofits, participate in city events, do hobbies with people. I know of a group of guys that just, and, uh, excuse me, I know a group of ladies here in town, but they just go running together. We've got to develop relationships, not putting yourself in, in, you know, in dangerous situations, but develop relationships for gospel conversations. And yes, I still think that's loving. I know there are some people who would say, well, if I'm developing a friendship with somebody just because I have an agenda to share the gospel with them, well, that's me doing it with an agenda. That's not me loving them. I'm like, you're doing that because you want to share with them how they can spend eternity with Jesus instead of hell and live an abundant life here on earth, having a relationship with the creator of the universe. I don't know what's more loving than that. So the second practical thing you can do, first is build relationships Second is pray for the lost with the church. We pray, uh, during the pastoral prayer, we pray for revival. We pray for the, the gospel to push the darkness back in Dixon and in our area. Do you pray that at home as well? Pray for the lost with the church. Pray for lost people you know in your family, your workplaces, schools, wherever, by name, individually, in, in your personal prayer time. Third is connected to that. Pray for the lost in your devotions. There was a, a, an emphasis that went around a few years ago in churches called Who's Your One? You, you may have heard of it. And what it did was it said they would have you write down the name of one person that you knew didn't know Jesus or you were pretty sure didn't know Jesus. Write that person's name down and commit to pray for them every day for 30 days. So just one month, 30 days to pray for that person every day for 30 days and then have a gospel conversation with them or invite them to church. So pray for the lost in your devotions. Who's that one person you know who doesn't know Jesus, who you see every day? Fourth, and this one, we either underemphasize or overemphasize, which that's pretty much our way with most things, right? Be patient. Be patient. God works on his schedule and in his time. He is sufficient. He is sovereign. His word is powerful and sufficient. 
do you trust him to do the work in his time? Great example is a young lady I know named Sam. Uh, she was at our last church. She came with her husband. Her husband's parents went to the church, and they started attending church. And um, they attended the church for about a year. And Sam would come in uh, in this first year they were there. Um, they were there more than a year, but this first year they were there. Uh, she would come in, and she would ask me questions. She grew up with a Catholic background. And she would ask me, you know, oh, you know, so I'm, I need to know about this, or I'm, I'm not sure about this. And I would always kind of feel bad at the end. It's like, ah, oh, why didn't I, you know, close the deal, you know, on the gospel or whatever. I was like, no, I'm just going to let God work on her heart. She's got a lot. I wasn't sure she understood, you know. And then one day after church, she came in and she said, hey, I, I want to talk about being baptized. And I was like, well, wait a sec. We need to first make sure that you know the Lord. And so we talked through the gospel. And I, I said, well, could you articulate what you believe about Jesus, the gospel, to me. She's like, well, I'm not really good with words. I said, okay, tell you what. So I went through, because I was like, well, maybe she doesn't understand. So I drew, I had, big, I had a big whiteboard, like four by eight sheet of whiteboard on my wall. And so I drew it out with the markers, drew out the gospel and explained it all. She'd heard me preach it for a year. And she said, that's what I believe. That right there, that is what I believe. Well, okay, that clarifies some things. And when I, <laughs> she was from such a Catholic background that when I baptized her, her mom, uh, her mom came, who was who was still Catholic, and uh, and not a believer as far as I know. And her mom wanted to know if the water was holy water in the baptistry, which I thought was funny because usually I don't think of them having that much holy water around. But anyway, it's like no, that's just tap water. It's just East Peoria tap water. Anyway, um, be patient. Be patient. You haven't failed. We talked a lot about we, we talk a lot about planting seeds and watering, and sometimes it feels like people are just telling you, "Well, you planted a seed, some plant, some water." And, and it feels like sometimes people are just saying that to kind of comfort you. Um, yeah, they are. Let it be a comfort because that's from the Word of God. Do you trust Jesus enough to order your life in a way that brings him glory by spreading the good news of the gospel of reconciliation? Maybe you've not. Maybe maybe you haven't ordered your life that way. You know what? You're not alone. And you know what else? Jesus offers forgiveness and a fresh start. So will you trust that he died for all your sin? He died for your lack of evangelism as well as your other sin. So repent. Change the way you believe and think and act towards your sin, change your way of living. A few points to ponder as we go out this morning, and if uh, our wonderful musicians want to start making their way up to the stage, this would be a great time for that. A few points to ponder as we go out. Number one, what's compelling you? What is controlling you? Is it the love of Christ, or is it fear? What is controlling you? Number two, are you being led by the love of Jesus or by fear? That is basically the same thing I just asked. Apparently I missed that I just basically wrote the same question. <laughs> Number three, 
God has spoken to this in his word. The question is always this, will you believe him and take him at his word and obey? Or will you reject it and walk away? Number four, will you begin living missional right where God has planted you? That's going to look different for some of you. Some of you, um, based on work schedules and your house and all of that stuff and your, your families and all that, it's going to look different, okay? If you have kids, um, you know, you're not going to be staying up till midnight with somebody at their house probably. But a play date where you can hang out and talk with other, other people, that's maybe doable. So will you begin living missional right where you are, where God has you, where he has planted you in the situation you're in? And number five, the good news tells us that we will fall short, but that Jesus is sufficient and lived a perfect life on our behalf. So when you fall down on the job, get back up and run to Jesus. Because the world doesn't need to see us being perfect because they know we're not anyway. Because they aren't either, right? They know we're not. What the world needs to see is when we fall down, when we sin, that we don't run away from Jesus, but we run to him. That's what the world needs to see. So will you order your life in that way? Would you stand and pray with me? Lord God, as we come to this uh, time of responding in our hearts to what you've said in your word. Would you help us to have faith? Help our unbelief. Help us take you at your word. Help us live our lives in such a way that we are focused on our mission to make disciples. And God, I pray that we as a church would be able to rejoice with others at, at the fruit they see from that in their and God, that if we continually, uh, we, we continue to live these intentional missional lives and we don't right away see fruit, that we would have patience and would trust you, that, that even when we don't see that fruit, that we are relying on you, that we are trusting you, we are being obedient to you, and you will bring the increase in the harvest in your time. Help us to trust you in that. To not lean on our own understanding, but to trust you in everything, Jesus. God, if there are those in the room who don't know you, I pray today would be the day they would uh, believe that you died, Jesus, on the cross for their sin, in their place, taking the wrath of God that was due them upon yourself, taking their punishment, and you offer them your righteousness, your right standing before God, and that you rose from the grave three days later, proving that it worked, that it was accepted, that that sacrifice was sufficient once for all time. Help us trust you and take that message to the in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing together again.